I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey, folks, welcome to another Touch Em All podcast. I'm Derek Wetmore, 1500 ESPN. I'm doing this one solo for now. I'm hanging out on Facebook watching the Twins game. There is a Facebook Live audience. We've been hanging out for a little while here chatting. And I wanted to record on this, though, because I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of good questions in the chat room today that uh, I thought would make for a good Touch Em All episode. So let's jump right in with Jeffrey's question that uh, he just wants to know, is Santana the starter for the wild card game? And yeah, the answer is yes. He's been set up for a couple of weeks now. Uh, and credit to the Twins for having some, I guess I don't know if it was foresight or if it just sort of worked out well, but it's been three, four weeks now, I want to say, that Irvin's been on schedule to be the starter should they need it um, that Tuesday in, it'll likely be New York. I guess I can't completely say New York because Boston could could blow this thing and, and then we'd all be scrambling trying to figure out the Red Sox matchup, but it's probably going to be the Yankees. It's probably going to be in Yankee Stadium, and it's probably going to be against Luis Severino. So I think for all those factors and just the basic fact that he's your most dependable, he's probably your best pitcher, and he's the guy that you trust the most to not allow his uh, emotions to get the best of him in a big game, I think it's the pretty obvious choice to start Santana. Let me ask a follow-up question, Jeffrey, um, as I watched your Diamondbacks last night. Um, Santana has been mostly good, and I'm going to write a column on this before before uh, we head to New York, but he's been mostly good with some clunkers. Now, my question is, just on the chance, what whatever the percentage chance that Irvin Santana has a clunker in that opening game. How short is your proverbial leash on Santana? Are you going to sort of just hope that he'll guide you through five, six good innings? Um, obviously, best-case scenario, he's getting you 7-8 or a complete game, and you don't have to worry about it. But you know that you have to at least consider the possibility that he's not good, and you've got the pitching reinforcements to sort of handle it. I wonder what the Twins will do in the case like that if he— you know, lets in a couple runs and walks a couple guys, hits a batter or something like that in the first couple of innings. Do you turn it over to the bullpen? Do you trust Santana to right the ship? Or do you, I don't know, would you go to another starting pitcher? Would you put Jose Barreos on the wild card roster, even if he's not on regular rest, just in case you need to turn to him in like the second inning and get some length out of Barreos? Obviously, that'd be a big gamble because we've seen in the past Barreos have some, uh, I'll call them inconsistent starts when the pressure gets dialed up. Now, counterpoint to that, he pitched well in the World Baseball Classic for his country, and I think that the pressure of that might be at least similar to the MLB postseason, if not greater for some people. So I think that you sort of just have to roll with Santana. You trust him to get you as far as he can. And then I think either for the wild card game or for beyond, if if you're looking past it to the division series, I think you kind of just have to trust that Barreos is going to give you a good outing. Um, so we're through the fourth inning here on the Facebook Live edition. If you're listening to this on the Touch Em All podcast feed, you don't care what inning it is because you're listening to this at your own convenience. 
But uh, in talking about Irvin Santana and Jose Barreos, and I even trust Kyle Gibson right now. I think I'm higher on Gibson than a lot of my uh, um, coworkers. You have three guys that you think at least could give you a decent chance at a decent start. Now, that's nice. It'll get you to the postseason. When you get to the postseason, the game is elevated. Everybody has at least three starters that they trust, and some of them have Clayton Kershaw or Corey Kluber and Carlos Carrasco. Like It it, it ratchets up a notch in the postseason. Um, so anyways, Jeffrey, is a long-winded way of answering your question. You know me. That's how I answer questions. Santana is definitely the wild card starter. He's on regular rest. I think that having him on regular rest going up against Luis Severino in Yankee Stadium, the Twins are still going to be the underdogs, but you could very well see them competing and or winning that game. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they're just going to, you know, waltz into Yankee Stadium and get blown out and then, well, it was a fun year. You made the postseason see in Fort Myers. I don't think that the Twins season has to end there, Jeffrey. Um, Kent wants to know, should Cologne start in the postseason uh, if it gets by the first game? Good question. And I'm going to make a note of that, Kent, because it's one of the things that we we talked about. Uh, I think it was on a recent Touch em All podcast. But I basically, I basically brought up the argument that he's been so bad lately and you don't need him. With the emergence of Kyle Gibson, I don't think Bartolo Cologne – as as like a fourth starter really adds anything. I think the choice is really between Cologne and Mejia if you need that fourth starter, but you'd much rather, especially with the day off in between the wild card game and the division series. Now, we are getting a little ahead of ourselves, so just keep in mind that. But if if you're talking about rounding out a pitching staff, I think that you've got to get to this guy who's on the hill right now for the Twins, Irvin Santana, I think you have to pitch him as much as you can. And that would mean with the day off in between, I don't think that you need uh, a Bartolo Colon to make a start for you. Even if you did, Kent, I don't know if you'd necessarily trust him at this point. I think it, it's been a good run. It was a fun story, big sexy night at Target Field, cool, everything. But I don't think uh, he gives you a better chance than your other starters right now. Uh, and I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't know if anything's changed for him or if it's just, boy, he was getting really pretty lucky earlier just throwing his little two-seam fastball up there 80% of the time and hoping that people fly out and ground out. It's possible that he sort of just sought his level, and, and, and this is who he is at age 44, that you're not going to get five, six good innings out of him in the postseason. So. Um, I talked about this on a recent podcast. I'm, I'm making a note of it here that I'm going to do a column about it probably at some point. Um, I, I did post my projected roster, guys who I think will be the Twins' 25-person wildcard team as they head to New York. So that's posted on 1500ESPN.com right now. Um, and Cologne's not on it, and I, I sort of talked about considering him, but just to expand on those thoughts in a column I think would be uh, worthwhile and not necessarily just cologne focus because I think that'd be kind of mean to <laughs> write a column with the headline here's why Bartolo Cologne can't pitch in the postseason I there's I mean there's no point in singling him out necessarily but I think that there are a number of guys who've helped them this year that you might not see in October so maybe that's a worthwhile column and, and thanks for the um, thanks for the question Kent <laughs>
But uh, anyways, let's jump into some more questions because I see Cornelius has one. Cornelius wants to know if Sano is DHing in the wildcard game. I'm going out on a little bit of a limb here, and I'm going to say no because here's the thing. For weeks now, it's looked like Miguel Sano probably is done for the year. He hadn't been running. He, I mean, he ran, but he could never run and then not be sore or have swelling or some kind of pain, some residual effect the next day. And that's obviously a problem. You can't, I mean, you can't just uh, sort of will your way through some injuries. And I would say a stress reaction in your leg is one of those injuries. Um, but I thought one thing that was interesting is that with the postseason sort of approaching, the Twins and some maybe third-party doctor or whatever, according to reports, cleared Sano to take 60 swings. Now, that's more activity than he'd done in a long time, from what I'm told, and that's interesting. I mean, with almost a week to go, six days to go before the wild card game, Sano ramps it up suddenly uh, at the time of year where it's pretty much like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of a more PC phrase. It's... It's time to go or shut it down, basically, at this time of the year. And they, they tried to ramp it up. Now, we'll see how he responds today, tomorrow, and if he can elevate any of that stuff. I, I won't be too long-winded about this, Cornelius, because I just think it's so unlikely that Sano does DH. But what I think is interesting, at least to think about, we talked about this on the podcast the other day, is that Derek Falvey came out and told reporters, no, we haven't ruled him out for the wild card game. I think that's posturing. I think that Sano coming back for the wild card game is like a less than 2% chance. But if you're Falvey and you say that, you've got the thought in the Yankees' minds, they're considering it. And this is the thing that Phil Mackey and I talked about on yesterday's Touch Em All podcast. Kind of interesting to put him on the wild card roster, even if you don't necessarily intend to use him, just as that sort of Earl Weaver loaded gun, big bat off the bench theory um, that that hey, I don't know if he's healthy enough to go, but we've got to be ready for it just in case he is. It would be interesting. I don't know if he's, I mean, if he's not physically healthy, physically able to perform, not sure it's worth wasting the roster spot. It's just a fun thing to talk about and think about. And, you know, a couple of people in our Facebook chat yesterday brought up the point that, hey, Kirk Gibson wasn't 100% healthy. Uh, and he got Eckersley. So there's something to be said for Miguel Sano, still a great hitter. Uh, just, man, I had question if he missed more than a month, month and a half, basically. And then you ask him to go in and pinch hit against postseason Major League pitching in the Yankees' elite bullpen. It's a really, it's a, it's a hard scenario for me to even imagine, even if you're trying to be as optimistic as possible. So Willie DH, I, no, probably not. Willie pinch hit even. Again, I would I would guess probably not. Let's get to a couple more questions here. Josh wants to know, how much confidence do you have in Belial closing out games? I don't have much, he says. All right, fair point. And, uh, boy, it's hard to blame you. He's been really good, though. I, I, I understand the reservation, and especially if you watched a lot of this team early in the year. I understand why Matt Belisle would give you some elevated blood pressure in the ninth inning of the games. Um, he's another guy that I'm going to work on, a column. So I want to do this. I've got this idea for the series, and um, it, it, basically what I want to do is explore a handful of guys, Belisle certainly one of them, 
who I consider to be October X-Factors. Now, I'm going to pour a lot of energy and time and thought into this series, uh, you know, without knowing, without knowing whether they'll make it past the wild card game or not. So I might pour all this energy into it. You might say, oh, that was a waste of time, waste of uh, digital space. But I think personally, Matt Belisle is one of the small handful of guys that could change things for the Twins. If they win the wild card game, especially, um, but even just in the wild card game, Matt Belisle has had sort of a tale of two seasons. But I, I mean, he's still not. If, if you're going to argue that he's on the level of elite reliever like David Robertson or Aroldis Chapman or Andrew Miller or Cody Allen, like Kenley Jansen, you're you're not going to make that argument. I don't think even the Twins would make that argument. I don't think Matt Belisle would make that argument. I think the argument is that he's been a professional about it. Uh, he's had a much better performance uh, after the trade deadline than he had earlier in the year when his ERA was running up close to double digits. I don't know what you want me to say. Like, do I think he's going to blow the game in Yankee Stadium? No, not necessarily. But is that a possibility? Of course it is. He's been a lot better reliever since he started uh, in the closer's role, basically. I mean, he went from being a guy you didn't even, you shouldn't even trust in the seventh inning to a guy who's been mostly flawless at converting saves and pitching in the ninth inning for the Twins. And I think that's a huge credit to Belial. I think it's a huge credit to the uh whether it's front office or coaching staff or whoever, somebody was on his side, clearly. When things were going sideways and you could have said, well, got a DFA of this guy, make room for the next up-and-coming reliever, somebody st- stuck their neck out for him, and whoever that was deserves some credit. So I don't, I don't know a, a good way to answer your question, Josh, because I don't want you to be like panicked about Matt Belisle, but he definitely is like an October X Factor. The other guy that we've pointed out a lot on the podcast and in videos and in columns lately Trevor Hildenberger. I think the combination of those two guys is a big October X factor. Two points to make. One is that I think that the Twins have the better lineup right now. I think there are a lot of people who would question that. I mean, the Yankees and the Astros and the Cubs, like these are these are big offenses, and obviously the Indians have had their uh, remarkable run here. I think that right now the Twins are. Uh, it, did I not mention the Astros in that big offensive thing? It, anyway, I think that the Twins are as scary of a matchup as probably any lineup right now. That's with or without Miguel Sano. I think if Miguel Sano comes back and he's like midseason Miguel Sano, this is a that's a game changer. But I don't think he is. I don't think he's going to come back. Um, certainly not at that level. Um, but even with Eduardo Escobar playing third base, who rightfully so. He's gotten a lot of credit. He's not going to make you forget about Sano. Yeah, he's got 20 home runs um, in, in sort of a part-time role, but he's still like a 295 on base guy, and he uh, he made a throwing error the other day, and personally, I don't know that he's as good as Sano at third base. I know there's going to be some people that argue with me on that. I just trust Sano more at third than Escobar, and in terms of being a feared hitter as the number three guy in the lineup, there's no competition. Like Miguel Sano is just the better hitter. So um, anyway, even without him, even without the big guy in the middle, this is a pretty scary lineup right now for opponents. You got Brian Dozier clicking. Joe Mowers really turned back the clock. I wrote a, a column about him the other day. At, you know, he's been almost every bit as good as his career numbers, and that's that's been a really impressive 
turn here for this Twins team. Uh, Byron Buxton's coming into his own. Jorge Polanco's a legitimate number three hitter right now. Eddie Rosario and Max Kepler's having some good at bats. Hit some balls hard recently. It, I, I could break down each one of these guys individually, but I'm just looking like collectively as a whole. This offense is churning pretty well right now, and and I don't know that that's a good matchup for anybody really. So, so that was point one. Is that uh, the Heading into Yankee Stadium, the one advantage that you do have if you're the Twins, whether it's Sonny Gray, Severino, whatever, is that your offense is probably better than the Yankees' offense right now. And I'm including peak Aaron Judge in that, which I think is borderline hot take. Um, I'm cool with it. I'm comfortable saying that. But anyway, the second point that I was going to make is that there's this Yankees fan yesterday who tweeted me and said, uh, he was really distraught, and he said people locally are looking right past the Twins. That just sort of there's this there's this sort of Yankee arrogance that once we get by the wild card game, how should we line it up for the DS? Should we save Luis Severino? Should we not waste him on the Twins? Should we get by the Twins with somebody else and then start Severino in Game One of the Division Series, probably against the Indians? And this Yankee fan was not happy with. Uh, their collective fan base saying that you can't take this Twins team lightly. And I will say that the Yankees are going to be the favorite in that game. I, I'd be shocked if they weren't uh, uh, a heavy favorite, actually, in Yankee Stadium in the wildcard game. But baseball is weird. Baseball does not crown champions uh, in one game based on true talent level. Uh, they base it on outcome. They base nine innings, or if you need more than that to settle the score. Baseball is a funny game in that you could be like a huge, huge underdog, 80-20 favorite. Well, that means you're going to win that game, theoretically, two out of ten times, one out of five times. That's not very good odds. You go into that game feeling superior and thinking that you're the better team. Baseball is a funny sport in that it'll humble you in those settings. So anyway, Twins fans... Have some fun with this. Have some confidence about it. Know that there are at least some Yankees fans that have sort of the Twins affliction or the Minnesota sports affliction of, "Uh uh-oh, what could go wrong here next? And I think that's a funny paradigm shift. Uh, I kind of enjoyed that tweet yesterday, so I want to share it with you guys. So on Barreos, though, he's at an innings load that he's never had before. And if you remember in 2015, Terry Ryan chose to set him down, shut him down for the rest of the season because of concern over workload rather than maybe call him up and help potentially help with a potential wild card push that season. So it's something I'm monitoring. If the twins get knocked out in the wild card round, doesn't matter. But if the twins go on to the division series or if they have uh, ambitions of marching on to the championship series or the world series, Braille's innings is it becomes a pretty interesting talker because he's your second most trusted starter probably, and he's in uncharted territory. So anyway, would I trust Kyle Gibson in game one? Yeah, sure. He's not going to be the better pitcher in any matchup uh, in game one of the ALDS, but I guess probably neither is Barrios because if you're the Indians, you can line up Kluber or Carrasco. I'd rather have either one of those guys uh, than the Twins, any of the twin starters, frankly. Um but that's who the Twins have been all year. They've sort of been underdogs. That's a nice play. I like the way the Indians play defense. Uh, the Twins have been really good at that this year, too, which 
you could not have said last year. Uh, there were games that you just left Target Field shaking your head last season. Um, so anyway, uh, Joseph, if that answers your question on Kyle Gibson, thanks for dropping it in the comment section. Josh asks, he says that uh, if Miguel Sano can play, does he start at DH? Might it ruin the chemistry? I think chemistry in terms of like lineup construction is pretty overrated. Chemistry, I think, matters in terms of between game stuff and like, are you going to rally together through adversity or are you kind of a bunch of individuals? Um, would it ruin the chemistry to bench Robbie Grossman for Miguel Sano? No, not if he was healthy, but it's maybe a consideration. I think the bigger consideration is, can you trust that he's going to be healthy? And can you trust that his timing would be right after missing five, six weeks and then having to go up against some of the best pitching in the world? I think that's a pretty tall order, um, even if it was for like a contact hitter like Joe Maurer. But for a guy whose game already had a lot of swing and miss to it in Miguel Sano, um, I don't know that you could really count on him being the thumper that you're used to seeing if you just went with him in the man Carlos Carrasco's having a day. Uh if you just went to him in uh in a DH role or a pinch hitting role in the wild card game for the first time since what August 19th since he's played. So, I don't know. Far fret far fetched if you ask me, but we've seen weirder things in the MLB postseason. Here's what you may have missed on a recent Purple podcast. Delvin Cook in the passing game adds another layer to this. You know, if you're an opposing defense and you're trying to game plan now against this offense, yes. your your only plan is really just you've got to get after the quarterback because that's the only way to slow them down with these two wide receivers and with all the things Delvin Cook can do. Mm -hmm. Because if you play two deep safeties, well, Stephon Diggs can pick you apart underneath. They can run Cook. They can pass the Cook. But if you bring a safety up, then they can go deep all over the field. So what exactly are you supposed to do as long as you get execution out of the quarterback and the offensive line? Mm -hmm. You can find the Purple Podcast on iTunes, Podcast One, or 1500ESPN.com's podcast page. Uh, Derek wants to know, would you use Cologne in long relief? And my answer is no. I don't want to see Bartolo Colon in long relief if I'm the Twins because uh, to do that would argue that he's been sort of more trustworthy than some of your most trustworthy relievers and I don't think that that's the case I think that it was a nice run it was a fun story and to expect that uh, that a 44 year old Colon is just going to kind of snap out of this funk that he's been in what, what is it four or five starts at least and his overall numbers with the Twins even aren't, like, amazing. They're okay, and, and he helped get you here. But I think if you're using him in long relief, that that you're not expecting to win that game. And I think that every game in October you have to expect to win. Uh, you know, if you fall behind, like, 8-1, to one, and that's fine, you're going to have to use somebody in long relief. Funny that they uh, just showed Dylan G on the monitor as I was talking about needing a guy in long relief. But I don't even know that you put Bartolo Colon on the roster if you're the Twins. Um, if you don't expect him to make a start, certainly not in the wild card game. I think Bartolo Colon does not belong on that roster. But if you're fast-forwarding and looking at the division series even, 
boy, I'm not sure he belongs on that roster either because you're going to have, what is it, 11 or 12 pitchers. And gosh, I could I could name you 12 that I'd trust more to get one out than Bartolo Colon right now for sure. So you're going to have Irvin Santana. You're going to have Jose Barreos, Kyle Gibson. And then maybe if you need sort of that extra starter in the division series, I don't know that they'll need that. But if they do, you're deciding between Alberto Mejia and Bartolo Colon. And I, I mean, Mejia frustrates me just as much as the next guy, but I think you'd trust him more to give you four good innings than you'd trust Bartolo Colon right now. Uh, veteranness aside. So anyways, uh, Derek, to answer your question, would I use Cologne in long relief? No, and I don't think that the temptation will be there because I don't know that you'd put him on the roster necessarily. So it's kind of cold. It's callous. He helped you get here. You could make the argument that you would not be in this position today without a Bartolo Cologne, but you got to thank him for the service and move on and try to win the games that you can win. And I think that that to maximize your talent on the division series roster, if you get there, if you get there, is uh, that doesn't include Bartolo Colon on it. So that's just my <laughs> I'm open to being wrong on that if you guys think something different. Joseph mentions Gibson. If Gibson is lights out, it's a different series. It's, it's true. If you get to the division series, big if, but if you get there, you're going to count on Kyle Gibson for at least one start, possibly more. And he's been great recently. I know a lot of people aren't ready to buy into him yet. I know, you know, there's a bad taste in your mouth from how the last three years have unfolded. And will he ever live up to first-round pick status? And I'm not worried about that. I think that right now he's pitching almost as well as anybody. He's in the conversation with Irvin Santana Barreos as a trusted starter for the Twins. Would I feel great if I was the Twins going into a matchup, Kyle Gibson versus Corey Kluber? No, probably not. But is it going to be a laugher? Is it going to be a blowout? No way. Anyway, would you feel good about Gibson versus Carrasco? Gibson versus Kluber? Gibson versus, uh, you know, maybe it's the Astros. Gibson versus Keiko. Gibson versus uh, Justin Verlander. Like, no, you you don't think that that's a good matchup, a matchup that favors the Twins. But baseball is fun like that in that, it's not a hundred percent lock. It's not like even a ninety ten, Keuchel versus Gibson, Verlander versus Barreos or whatever. You'd probably rather have the other team's top couple of starters, their couple of aces. But um, boy, I'd take the Twins lineup right now against any of those teams. And uh, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Gibson as an X factor, I love it a hundred percent. I'm going to add him to my list of guys that need to be written up. That'll probably be one of the later ones because Gibson might not pitch in the wild card game and the wild card game might be all you get. But if it goes to the division series, Kyle Gibson's going to be a pivotal figure for the twins one way or another. Dan's got an X factor too. He says Kepler. I agree with that. He says Kepler's got all the tools. If he could just hit lefties really excited to see him grow. Yeah, I think if you're the Twins, you would have liked to see that step this year, but it's a learning process for a lot of guys. Eddie Rosario's really come into his own. Jorge Polanco has, so we're in some ways a little bit spoiled. But I think Kepler's still 24. I should look that up rather than just spit lies on this uh, video, this podcast. He is 24. He won't turn 25 until February 10th next year. So um, 
in your age 24 season to be up and a regular contributor in the major leagues is impressive. This isn't Kepler's first year either, also impressive. I've really liked his defense for the most part, um, and he can fly. He's an underrated burner for the Twins. Uh, so there's a there's a lot to like in Max Kepler. If he could hit lefties more, he'd be a more useful everyday player. I did read some quotes from him. I think it was from a story Mike Berardino did in the Pioneer Press recently about you know Molitor sort of not not waffling, but obviously you look at the lefty lineup card. Kepler's going to be out of there more often than not, and and Kepler sort of expressing some frustration with that, some feeling that he's confident locked in against lefties and i thought all right that's sort of that that self-assured nature that is uh almost like a darwinian evolution that by the time you get to the big leagues everybody's cocky yeah you have to be to survive some of the trials of the minor leagues and kepler to me isn't cocky i've talked with him a lot about some of this stuff like mental mental um performance as a as a major league player as a young major league player as a high performance athlete um man carrasco is eating up the twins today uh kepler has this sort of like steadfast confidence that borders on cocky without crossing a line in my opinion that's just my two cents that uh i i think that having that mentality that i know i haven't played a lot against lefties and i know what the numbers say but i'm not overwhelmed against lefties i trust myself against a left-handed pitcher i thought that was an important thing for kepler to first of all to think but second of all to even to say to have that out there um one of the reasons i think that is because then he went out and backed it up he went out and had uh who was that was that uh it was in new york i want to say that i read that story so he had a couple he hit the home run against cc sabathia that's what it was i read the story that morning and then i saw Good at bat against CC Sabathia. Now, short porch at Yankee Stadium, fine. But guess what? You're going to get that in the wild card game, too. So that matters to me. And then he had a good plate appearance against uh, Aroldis Chapman later in the game, who's throwing 102 miles an hour. And I think Kepler got out, I want to say, but I, it was a line drive out to the left fielder. And so those two plate appearances, while not maybe a drop in the bucket in the overall totality of his career against left-handed pitchers i think those were two important benchmarks in terms of uh sort of giving yourself confidence going into yankee stadium knowing that hey if they go get a lefty if if they go get chapman if they go get uh whatever a lefty reliever um that you're not going to feel overwhelmed that you're not going to feel overmatched if you're max kepler so totally agree he could be a potential x factor dan that's a good point max kepler could change the series for the twins Geez, just like Carlos Carrasco could change uh, any series he's a part of for the Indians. The Indians obviously aren't going to have to have a play-in game, but uh, Carrasco and Kluber lined up as your game one, two starters in the division series. That's tough sledding. Um, Dan again. Dan wants to know, uh, he says, Derek, the percent chance the front office re-signs Dozier to an extension this offseason? It's a question that's been on a lot of people's minds lately, apparently. Um, My two cents on the situation, and I've talked about this in podcasts before, with Dozier being in 2018 is the final year of his contract. And you you have three choices. They're obvious. I mean, they're the same three choices last year. Let it be. 
have Dozier as your opening day second baseman in, in a potential walk year where then he's heading into free agency and could hit the open market. Two, trade him, which you tried to do last winter. And from what I'm told, no package elevated, no uh, trade package elevated to the point where the Twins thought they were getting better value than what they'd get from two years of Brian Dozier. All right. Well, that makes some sense. They're flashing Carrasco's stat line here. Uh, Seven innings so far, six hits, obviously no runs, the one walk and 11 strikeouts. Um, The third option on Brian Dozier is to sign him to some sort of multi-year extension that would fit for both sides. And if you're Brian Dozier and his agent, I think that's got to be somewhat rich. I'll look at this question in much more detail in the offseason um, because, frankly, there are already too many storylines. I can't write them all uh, even before the wild card game. I'm going to struggle. We're going to get done with this video, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to go downstairs to my little workspace, and, and I'm going to just try to hammer out as much as I can. I'm going to get this podcast posted, um, share the video. But, like, there's so many columns. Like, we've been talking about – I've got six columns right here, seven columns just from you guys, from from questions, from observations you've had during the hour or so we've been on this video during the Twins game. So I'll address Dozier in greater detail this offseason, but maybe this helps, maybe this doesn't. I did some digging around last winter and asked uh, if there was any thought to, with two years left, extending Brian Dozier. Um, and from what I'm told from the new – um, Twins front office leaders, that was not a conversation that was broached. It makes sense that with two years left, you wouldn't be considering an extension. But I'd wondered, you know, was it maybe even in the back of your mind? If a trade doesn't work out, do you want to lock this guy up who just hit 42 home runs and was your team MVP? Or do you kind of want to let it ride, see what happens? They obviously chose to let it ride. I'm told it wasn't even a consideration to extend him last year. I wonder if that math changes this year. A, He's closer to free agency, so does he want more? But B, is his performance this year as impressive as last year? We'll see how the final numbers stack up. Um, I Personally, would I be worried about buying out the his age 31, 32, 33, maybe 34 season? Would you sign a five-year deal to a guy like that? I'm not particularly worried about it. I think his skill set will be fine. He runs well. He plays good defense at second base. Um and it's not like his power relies on him hitting 500-foot jacks. Um, his power relies on getting a fastball to his liking, turning on it better than just about anybody in baseball, and pulling it out to left field. For the most part, he has gone the other way. He's gone to center. But his the majority of his power is all that pull to left field, get a fastball, and hit it out that way. And so anyway... We'll dive into all of this stuff more this off season, but would I extend him personally right now? No. Um, maybe I'll look into what an extension would cost, what other position players at age 30 of his skill set and uh, contract status demand, what the market looks like, what you could do at second base if it wasn't for Dozier. Maybe I'll have a more informed opinion this winter, and the answer will be yes. But as I'm sitting here today looking at all the factors, just – quickly on would you pay for that kind of production what i think it might cost to pay a doja for a multi-year extension 
despite all the leadership he's provided, despite his enormous home run the other day in Cleveland to put the Twins on top, no, I wouldn't make an emotional decision and try to extend him to a multi-year offer right now. I, The question of whether I would and whether the Twins would is totally different. I should note that, Dan. But you ask percent chance, and I'm going to fall on the old cop-out. Non-zero chance. But uh, if you're asking me if I would, the answer is no. Eric wants to know, do the Twins have the best collective group of outfielders in the playoffs? And then uh, maybe qualifies that, too, to say for the American League. Uh, boy, I haven't done an analysis of this, but off the top of my head, I'd have to say you'd like uh, you'd like Boston's outfield combination, too. Um, Mookie Betts is having a great year. I don't know. Do they have the best defensive? I think that they do. I think that uh, there was a story written about that recently, actually, that I'm going to do a column on. Gosh, I keep promising all these columns, and now I'm up to, like, Eight columns. I'll write this down. All right, you guys are going to have to hold me accountable. If we get through the next, like, five days and I've only written one column, you get to call BS on my promises of all these columns. But um, one of the things that I've been thinking about is exactly what your question was here is do they have the best outfield mix? And offensively, I don't know that you'd say that. Um, I guess I'd have to go through and do an analysis. I mean, Aaron Judge elevates the Yankees. But defensively, do they have the best? I would say yes. Here's a tweet from uh, Twins President Dave St. Peter. He says, uh, already more than 34,000 tickets sold for the American League Division Series games three and four. And they're expecting sellouts of 39,000 or more. This was a tweet from like 10 minutes ago. So apparently there are still Division, uh, division Series tickets for sale. I would say if you're still here, if you're still hanging out, you're gonna, you gonna, you definitely want to check out my Facebook page. Uh, if you're still here, it means either you forgot that your browser was open, or that you love Twins Talk so much that you'll hang out to the end of a, a, a game that's that's basically decided uh, for just some Twins Talk on Facebook. My Facebook page is Derek Wetmore MLB, and there's Twins Talk every single day on that. Either I'm posting my columns, or I'll ask a question of the audience, or that's where I throw out my mailbag questions or I'll put the podcast on there or share videos from 1500 ESPN or sometimes I'll share highlights. I thought about putting the Andrelton Simmons highlight on there the other day uh, where he just kind of cuts off a throw from right field, gets the runner between first and second in a rundown, and then fires to the plate and gets that runner out. I thought about putting that up there, but I didn't think that the Twins audience would love seeing in Angels highlight at this time of year. I love watching Simmons play, so in the offseason, I'll probably share some Simmons highlights. Uh, for now, it's mostly Twins highlights from MLB.com, sharing those videos and stuff like that. I appreciate everybody who came through here. We'll see what the Twins do with their postseason roster. That's basically all that's left to decide here the rest of the way. Irvin Santana is going to be on schedule to start the wild card game. We'll see who the starter is for the Yankees, uh, possibly, quite possibly, Luis Severino likely in Yankee Stadium. We've got tons of columns to get to. I just read through my list of like eight or nine that I've got to jump on, and that doesn't even include off-season columns and stuff that I'm working on. The Brian Dozier extension. Would you make any trades this winter? Who are the free agents they should go after? James Rousen's impact has been uh, probably undersold, I think, a little bit. That's a story that I'm working on behind the scenes. So plenty more coming this week through the wild card game, and then obviously in the aftermath, whatever happens. If it's on to Cleveland... Awesome. We'll have plenty of columns that way. If that's the end of the Twins ladder, then 
There's plenty of stuff to get into in what's been a pretty exciting season for the Twins. So I'm going to sign off. Uh, thank you for dropping by if you're watching on Facebook Live. If you're listening to the Touch Them All podcast, thanks for subscribing to that feed. Give us a review on iTunes if you could. We love five-star reviews because it helps share it with the baseball audience, helps more Twins fans find that podcast. So for Phil Mackey, I'm Derek Wetmore and 1500 ESPN. Keep checking out our Twins coverage, 1500ESPN.com slash twins. We'll see you guys later.